In a world obsessed with perfect selfies, 92% of teen girls would like to change something about the way they look, with body weight ranking the highest, according to the Dove campaign. Many women never outgrow their self-loathing, which is in deep contrast to God's opinion of them. When God looked at all of his creation, scripture records that he said, it is good. That includes women. That didn't stop Dana Gresh from an epic beauty battle, but God rescued her heart after five difficult years. Discover the secret that transformed how she felt about what she saw in the mirror. Dana Gresh equips women of all ages to overcome the lies we face about beauty in this entertaining and truth-filled message delivered at Harvest Bible Chapel, led by Pastor Greg Laurie and his wife, Kathy. Hello, good evening. What an honor to be here with you tonight. I am beside myself to get to be in this great community, this fantastic church. You minister as a church. How many of you are from this church? Awesome. You know, you as a church minister to an entire country so beautifully. So it's my honor to come here tonight and just to kind of minister back to you. That video is, if it sounded like it was simplistic, it's because it's a piece of my brand new Secret Keeper Girl Masterpiece World Tour. We do about 100 events across the country every year. We're coming to California this September and October um, where we tell 7 to 12-year-old girls that they're perfect just the way God made them. You know, how many of you are grandmas or moms? Yeah, you have no trouble looking at that 7 to 12-year-old and being like, yes, you are perfect just the way God made you, right? But how many of you thought that when you were 12? We need a constant reminder. And as I was um, praying about how God would have me approach this particular Secret Keeper Girl curriculum, um, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, God made you just perfectly, just the way you are, the way that your hair is, the way that your skin is, the color of your skin, the, the shape, the size that you are, it is just perfect, and it was with precision. Um, it's one thing to, to say that and believe that, but you have to first believe that there's a creator, right? And as I was praying, I realized that the word theory has really fallen from the cultural conversation when it comes to evolution. And so we start the Secret Keeper Girl World Tour by reading Genesis 1. It takes six minutes. In six minutes, we can cover six days of creation and remind our spirits that there is a creator that made this world, and that is truth. And that's something that all of our hearts need. And you know what, as I was reading Genesis 1, and I was listening to hearing it every night in the first few weeks of tour, I heard these words over and over again, it is good, it is good, it is good. It is good. That God, that God made this world and he sat back and he said, it is good. You know, and I wanted to make that a big theological thing. So I started studying it and I was like, what is it Greek? What, I mean, what does the Hebrew word of like good mean? It just was like, it was good. It meant good. <laughs> and, and, and as I studied more, it just like all I could get was it was that awesome sense after, like, you put an awesome piece of pizza in your mouth and you're like, mmm, that is good, right? <laughs> like, that God was just saying, I enjoy this. It's so awesome. And all through the scriptures, it says again and again, the creation sings the same song back to him. 
God, God's world cries out to him, I enjoy you, God. This is the song you and I were created to know and sing and experience. But girls, I'm afraid that there's a lot of static interference with the communication. It's like we can't find the Wi-Fi, which everybody knows will set a girl to twitching very quickly. <laughs> we can't hear the song of God saying it is good through all the lies that this world is telling us day in and day out. That's why I love to hear the testimony of Madeline. I don't know about you as moms. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that there is still someone, one soul in Hollywood, who still wants to preserve truth so that we can hear truth and we can hear good messages and we can hear good things. Is anybody else pretty excited about that? So as I was pushing reset on my own heart this year, trying to hear the it is good sound of God looking at me as his creation and trying to sing back to him it is good, I was like, How, where, where do I feel that the most? You know, and I kind of wanted to feel it like in, in a really like theological setting, like my, my modern day church at, me, at least, but surely it, it should be like a sanctuary type. But you know where I found it? Sitting in the backyard of my farm looking around at every single piece of footage that you saw, and not one piece of stock footage, every single piece of footage is amazing footage. And I can look around and see from, from there's this little, this little forest right by my house, and the fireflies come out at night. I am telling you, Disney could sell tickets. <laughs> it is good. I won't even bore you with the details of the reproductive systems of the fireflies because, well, I will. Um, so, <laughs> like, it's like he blinks. He, they have four little chambers in their tiny little firefly butts, and he blinks a blink with those four little chambers. It's like a code. It's like, hey, baby, do you dig me? And if she, if she copies the signal, that is a good thing. There is some romance happening tonight in the firefly world. It is so good. Uh, right now, the little teeny tiny goat you saw in that video, that, his name is Horton. He is now a little grown up, and he is a daddy of two. Now, I, he's named after Dr. Seuss, Horton, here's a who. So his babies had to be named Cindy Lou Who and Boo Who. <laughs> and I go out in the morning, and Cindy Lou Who lays on me, and she just cuddles up to me and loves me and, and nestles into me. She's the sweet, calm one. And Boohoo bounces across my head, messes up my hair every morning, gives me a bad hair day. And I love every single second because I think, wow, God is good. Is anybody else like that when you're, like, maybe when that, when that picture during worship of that forest came up, you're just like, I want to go right there, Jesus. I want to go right there and sit in that spot and feel your presence. Does anybody else feel the presence of God when you're observing creation? Yes. You know, there, not everybody feels the same way about creation when they observe it. Somebody that didn't feel so good about creation was a guy named Charles Darwin. Now, now, you know what, he's kind of the father of evolution, right? You know that. But did you know that he wrote a letter once to a colleague that said, the sight of a peacock's feather, when I look at it, makes me to feel sick. Now, why would that be? 
It's because that peacock's feather, as you saw in that video, it didn't fit with his survival of the fittest theory. You see, that peacock's tail makes survival harder, not more likely. It takes time to take that tail feather down, those tail feathers down, if a predator comes into its presence. And it makes running more difficult and slower, and it makes flying more difficult and slower. So when he looked at that peacock and he thought of his theory, he felt the sickness of a lie. His emotions were trying to tell him something. You see, that's what our emotions do. They're, signal, they're, they're messengers. They send us signals. They tell us something's not right here. Something in your belief system, in your mind, in your head, in your world is not right, and I'm sending you a message. His emotions were trying to communicate to him. Because deep down in his spirit, that God-shaped hole was still crying out and communicating truth to him even has he embraced and believed lies. Now, I don't know about you, I have believed lies about God's creation. I've never, I've never doubted that God created, like Darwin did, but I have doubted that what God created was good. I have felt the sickness of a lie when I looked in the mirror and saw something that God created and believed fully and completely the opposite of what God said. It is not good. And I felt the sickness of that lie. And I, I don't know if any of you girls, maybe you all look in the mirror every day, you're like, that is good. <laughs> I think I'll look at that again. Anybody? I kind of thought so. You know, I don't know why Satan lies to us in this way about our beauty. As I was praying about what lies, we deal with 25 lies in the book, Lies Young Women Believe, Nancy DeMoss-Wogelmuth and myself. Um, and I thought, which one of the ones will span the ages? I thought the beauty lies. I wonder if we ever really outgrow them, you know, and I don't know why the guys don't struggle with it. To this day, I've been married almost 30 years. My husband has never walked out and said, honey, do these jeans make me look fat? <laughs> Hadn't happened yet. We are the ones that bear the burden. And here, here's the thing. I want you to tell you something before we even go any further. Guess what? Genesis 1.27 tells us about this, this lie about our beauties. Genesis 1.27 says that you and I were created to look like God. We are created in his image to reflect who he is. And I got to tell you that this beauty battle that you and I face, it has very little to do with you and I at all. It is a fist fight between our creator and the one who hates him so much that when he looks at us and is reminded of the image of God, the best he can do is lie to us and tell us that what we see is not good. That doesn't change the reality of you and I sitting in, the mirror, sitting in front of the mirror and fighting the battle, does it? So let's see if we can sort through that tonight. I have um, two things, two gifts I want to give to you tonight. The first is I want to give you a tool that you need 
It, it'll help you identify really any lies you might be believing, whether they be about beauty or guys, not that any of us in here have ever believed any of those lies, um, or, or your marriage or your career or your purpose or um, your, your school or, or whatever it is, this one tool will help you to identify if maybe, just maybe, there's a lie. And if I could figure out what the lie is and rip it up and plant God's truth, I could be okay. You could be okay. And then I, I want to take us through four things that Eve did to cooperate with lies, just so you can kind of just say, well, am, am I helping these lies, feeding these lies, fueling these lies? Now, as I go through these two, this tool and these four things, um, I'm going to be using the content from Lies Young Women Believe. And I just want you to know that I did write this with my friend Nancy Demas Wogelmuth. So some of the things I'm saying tonight are just not from my heart, but they're from hers. And in each of the books that, that she has written in this series, Lies Women Believe for Those 17 Plus, uh, yes, I, tonight um, Kathy said, how many of you are 20 and under? And you raise your hands. But I wanted to say, how many of you feel 20 and under? Raise your hands. <laughs> so, so that book is for those who feel 20 and under. Um, this one, Lies Young Women Believe, is for teens, and in February, um, we're coming out with Lies Girls Believe for 7- to 12-year-old girls, because Satan just keeps moving the line back, right? And you know what? We're going to fight on the front line every time. That's what we're going to do, because that's what we're equipped to do. And so in each of these books, there's a test that helps you to figure out, are you believing a lie? It doesn't matter what age group. Do you know what the, the, the key, the core, the, the big signal, the hint that you might be believing a lie is? Your emotions. Girls, we are emotionally, what I would call emotionally wealthy. <laughs> we have the great riches of emotion running through our hearts and our lives at any age, at any point in our lives. And emotions are good things. Three things I want to tell you about emotions. They're good they're messengers that God gave to us. When, when God created them, he said, he, what did he say when he created emotions? It is good. He said our emotions are good. You know what? He said that about all of them, even the ones we think are bad, like anger and sadness and grief. In the right place and time, those are good tools, appropriate tools for our lives. Now, they're supposed to be messengers. That means they're supposed to come and tell us, hey, something's not right, and then we respond to them and they go away. That's how they're supposed to work, in case you didn't know. <laughs> For example, stressed. Anyone in here stressed out today? Came here a little stressed out, like the to-do list is a little long. Guess what? Stress is God's signal to us that maybe, just maybe, there is too much going on in your life, and if you would obey him, and start to find some rest in your life to push the reset button on your spirit, or maybe just do less because, hey, there's some truth some of you need. You came for that tonight. That one's free. <laughs> that the stress would abate. The messenger would go away because it's done its job. But the second thing you need to know about emotions is that they were created to tell us something and they were created to be quiet. They were created to shut the up when they're done with their job, right? But that's not always how they work. You see, emotions are sort of like the skin of our soul, right? So when I touch a hot pot with my bare hand, what am I going to do? 
Hopefully, I'm going to pull away. I'm going to react because my skin is saying that's not safe. But if it's my sweet Cindy Lou, my furry little goat on my lap, and it feels really nice, I'm going to hold her closer, right? Because that feels good. My skin is telling me what's safe and what's not. Your, your emotions are the skin of your spirit, the skin of your soul. And they say, when you, when you have a friend that makes you feel bad every single stinking time you spend time with her... Hello, skin of your soul is saying hot pot, back off. (laughs) Your skin of your soul is saying, no, this isn't good for you. It's not healthy for you, baby girl. Find another friend. But if, if, you, if, you're, if your skin of your soul is saying, this feels safe, this feels good, you can move into that and know that it's true. And then your emotions are supposed to be, oh, I gave the single signal, I'm done. Third thing you need to know about emotions is this. Sticky emotions, the ones that don't go away, the chronic ones that become so powerful in your life that they become labels, like you could feel, you feel like they define you. Grumpy Dana. (laughs) Sad Dana. Depressed Dana. Stressed out of her mind every time everyone, she comes in the room, she stresses everybody else out of her mind, Dana. See, when they become chronic and they stick to us, that's when you know that there might be something wrong. That is possibly, most likely, evidence that deep down in your belief system, there is a lie that has been rooted inside of you so deeply that your emotions no longer are signaling you, they're controlling you. And that's when we have a problem. When our emotions start to become sticky and they control us. I want you to maybe think, is there a sticky or chronic emotion in your life right now? If someone were to say, oh, some of you were like, I saw that over there. I want you to think, like, is there a sticky, chronic emotion in your life? And as we look at this passage in Scripture, I want you to have that sticky, chronic emotion in your mind. You know, is is there something that if people were to say, what emotion most characterizes this girl, and it's a negative, chronic, sticky emotion, and i got to say something. Some of y'all are too happy. (laughs) You ever meet someone who just, like, it's not real happy? It's chronic, sticky, fake, happy. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, God created us to feel sad, too, sometimes. (laughs) And not to talk in the mornings. He did create us not to talk in the mornings. For the love of God, you morning people. No, but I'm being honest when I say sometimes we can even be controlled by what we think are positive emotions, but we're still controlled by them because they're so chronic and so sticky. So I want you to think about that as I ask you to stand, and I'm going to read to you this passage of Scripture where we see the first woman believing the first lie. I'm going to ask you to stand just because, um, well, then you won't fall asleep and get bored. (laughs) No, because I love to honor God's Word that way. That's why I ask you to stand. Um, 
So, so let me read to you the story of when the first lie came into the world. You know, Jesus said to, we're going we're gonna to see a snake in this story. You know this story, so it's not like a new story to most of you. Um, who does the snake represent? That's right, Satan. And Jesus himself said that Satan is a liar and the father of all lies. This is the day he birthed lies. And it says this in Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit in the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of it and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. But the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. <laughs> that sounds just like my house sometimes. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said to the, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. You can be seated. It is my hope that we can learn a little bit from Eve today and take that sticky emotion that we're feeling and kind of put it through a grid of four things that Eve experienced in the garden. And just kind of ask ourselves, am I responsible a little bit for this emotion that's ruling and controlling my life? The first thing we notice is this. Eve listened to the lie. Verse 1. What was she doing there by that tree? Did you ever think that? Like, what was she doing there by the tree? There's this big garden, and God said, look how good it is. Look how awesome it is. Look how many trees you have. And she just moseys on to the one, over to the one where she's supposed to not eat that fruit, right? Anyone else like that? Like God gives you this big, or your mom and dad give you this big, they're like, you can have this on the internet, you can have that on the internet, you can have this on the internet, you can't, but you cannot have this on the internet. You're like, I got to have that on the internet, right? We obsess about the thing that we can't have. The thing that has boundaries on it becomes, what, it's like that button, you know, you like, you ever walk by a fence and it, there's a hole and it says, do not look in this hole, and you're like, well, I'm going to look in that hole, for sure, right? You cannot help it. It is human nature. We want to do that which we're not. And, and he doesn't even, he, doesn't, he, he, he lies to her so blatantly at first. He's like, Did, didn't God say you can't eat any of the trees? But here's the thing. Eve listened. And you and I listen. You and I watch the television shows that Madeline won't star in.
We read the books that we kind of know we shouldn't read. I got to tell you, this makes me so sad, but there is no statistical difference in the percentage of Christian women versus non-Christian women who read Fifty Shades of Grey. And you know what? That makes me sick. And we get completely obsessed with what we can't have, with, with what we're not supposed to have. And, and we hear all of the mocking voices. You see, when we get close to the lie, when we hang out next to the stuff, instead of feeling like, I can look cute and modest at the same time, which, by the way, is humanly possible. Yes. And, and, and when, we, when we start to look at the wrong fashion magazines and shop at the wrong stores and get obsessed with the things we can't have rather than all the things we can have at the mall, then, then we start to think, uh, is it really good that I dress modestly? Maybe I am repressed. <laughs> what? It, sometimes the lies don't even make sense. Here's the thing. The serpent, the snake, Satan has no power to make you sin unless we cooperate a bit. We have to listen to his lies. We have to hear what he's saying. And, and he, he, if we come close enough to the things that our parents, our pastors, our, our ministry leaders, our youth pastors, and our God has advised us to stay away from, but we think, but I am so spiritual, I can handle this. Listen, there's no one that lived a more sheltered life than Eve did. No one. No one was exposed to less and probably would have had less of an inclination and an interest in sin than this woman. And we think that we can handle it. We, we can't handle it. You know what we can't handle? You know, you know where our beauty lies take a lot of, get a lot of fuel? Social media. Yes. Thank God I grew up as a teenager and the only thing I had to compare myself to now and then was a supermodel or two on the cover of a magazine. Think about that, okay? Because your daughters, your granddaughters, and you have to compare yourself to someone who's perfected every time you open social media. Every time you open social media. In 2006, that's like forever ago. Some of you were not even born yet. <laughs> Facebook, our first social media, which is so antiquated, some of you are way too cool to be on it, was just coming out, and in that year, 2006, teenage girls scored as high on anxiety scales about their appearance and fitting in than those who were committed to psychological disorder clinics for inpatient treatment in the 50s. By 2016, now we have, well, MySpace, which is gone, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Tinder, oh Lord help us, uh, Snapchat, you know, all this stuff, right? 2016, they're, they're saying that the anxiety that girls feel over their appearance and how they look is so, is 
practically undefinable that they don't really know what to do with it in terms of psychological measurement. But they have, the dictionary has figured out what to do with it because they've added, oh, added a word to the dictionary, FOMO. Do you know what that means? If you don't, you are so yesterday. It means fear of missing out. It's an actual word that's now in the dictionary. It's a psychological condition that teenage girls experience when they're looking at their social media feed and looking at everybody else's very fake lives and thinking, I don't have a life as great as that. Neither do they. <laughs> Truth, right there. Truth. But here's the thing, even though only I, I, all I had to compare myself to was social media, or um, was supermodels, I still found myself feeling really ugly. Anybody else out there feel that? The kind that, the self-loathing kind, the kind I can't look in the mirror kind, the kind I'm never gonna be okay, nobody's ever gonna want me kind of ugly. And here's the thing, I did exactly what Eve did in verse 2. In verse 2, we see that Eve dwelled on the lie. To dwell on something means to live in a specific place or to think about, speak about, write about it all the time every day. And, and what she did is she, she, like, she stayed in this specific place. She, she should have heard the, the lie and said, this, I can't eat any trees in the garden, Woo! out of here, right? That she doesn't, she stays there and she tries to reason with the devil. She tries to talk to him and help him understand. You know what? Even Jesus didn't do that. When he was tempted in the garden, you know what he did? He quoted scripture and he was done with the conversation. We don't, you don't see a big fat dialogue between him and the, you see a lot more dialogue between Eve and the serpent than you do between Jesus and the temptation he experienced in the desert. He quoted scripture and he said, quiet. Dwelling is what we do when we're on social media all the time, every day. Listen to me. This thing right here is really dangerous for me. Now, maybe you're 12 years old and you don't have an addiction problem like I do to this thing. Or maybe you're a mom who doesn't escape to the bathroom to look at it on the toilet because your children aren't there. <laughs> or maybe you're a grandmother. Who, maybe you're a grandmother who thinks, I, 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 I deserve this, like I raised them. Thank God, they're gone. Thank, I'm, I deserve this <laughs> Facebook thing, this Twitter thing, this Instagram thing, right? Here's the thing. The, what do you think about that tree of the knowledge of good and evil? When God said to all of creation, it is good, do you think that he, he was like, except that tree? I don't think so. I think that tree had a good purpose. We may know what it is one day when we're in heaven. And I think social media can have good purposes, but I think it's also very dangerous and lethal for me if I am not in control of it because my emotions get in control of it really fast. You know, they have, they have um, um, in, they, they, they actually have rehab for teenagers now who are addicted. The dopamine cycle in their brains is being so controlled by the sounds that come from this thing. I don't know about you, but like when I get the likes, it makes me feel really important. Anybody else have that problem? When I get the shares, then I feel like celebrity star status, right? 
I got shares. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then, like, what happens is I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is I'm checking in to see who likes me and who shared me. And before I know it, 30 minutes in, it's too, it's too late and I don't have time to open the Word and be in the Bible and talk to the Lord because I was so busy worried about what you thought about me. Anybody? So what I do is from time to time, I take all the social media off my phone so I can get my appetite under control. Because I don't want to be a woman who dwells on that. I want to be a woman who dwells in the word. Because here's the thing. You know, Jesus was able to speak to, to Satan and quote scripture because he knew it. How are you going to know scripture to quote when you're feeling tempted if you're not in the word, learning the word, knowing the word? The third thing we know that Eve did was this. Because her emotions began to get control of her. Now, we don't really know what emotions Eve felt. Maybe she felt afraid, and she was thinking, oh, what if God isn't good? Maybe she felt confused. Did Adam misunderstand? I know sometimes my husband doesn't get it right. <laughs> Maybe she felt rebellious. Well, if God wants to be in control of my life. We don't know, but somehow her emotions got in the driver's seat, and the next thing we know, she was reaching for that piece of forbidden fruit. She believed in and acted on a lie. Girls, what we do proves what we believe more than what we say. What we do proves what we believe more than what we say. And I was praying about this and thinking, like, what are some things that, ways that we prove what we believe? Well, you may say you believe in kindness, but when God prompts your heart to help your little sibling with homework and you'd rather watch Netflix so you do, you're proving what you believe about kindness. You may say you believe in marrying a Christian, but when you just happen, you're dating this guy just now because maybe he needs Jesus, you're proving what you believe. You're proving that it's not really that important to be equally yoked. You, 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 you may say you believe God gives you peace in all circumstances, but when you freak out every time something goes wrong, you're proving what you really believe. You may say you believe in sexual purity but when you addictively use pornography as an outlet because that's, you need a sexual outlet as a single woman. You're proving what you believe about purity. And Eve proved what she believed. You know how I proved what I believed for five years? You know how I proved what I believed about how it is not good was in the mirror every time I saw it? I just didn't look in the mirror. Not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, not for a year, but for five years. If I did look in the mirror, I ended up in the fetal position in my bed for days. And if it was a good one, maybe just hours. My mom and dad didn't know, why is this girl so depressed? What is wrong with her? I'll tell you what was wrong with her. She didn't like what she saw in the mirror. And she had dwelled on the lies so much that she was beginning to believe that what she saw in the mirror was very, very bad. I don't know if any of you have ever felt that. I know that some of you have. Some of you resorted to cutting and binging and purging and all manner of cooperating with Satan in self-harm against yourself, against, against your beautiful, precious, perfectly crafted body. 
because you have believed this lie so thoroughly and so thickly, and it has just, it has controlled everything about you. What happens when we allow our emotions to control how we act and prove what we believe? Well, it says the fourth thing in here, Eve hid. But you know what? I love that that's not the end of the story. That God came seeking. He said, my children are hiding. Do you think that the God of the universe really didn't know the answer when he said, where are you? <laughs> he knew. And he knew why they were hiding where they were hiding. And he came because he loves his masterpiece creation, his it is good creation, because he enjoys and the Bible says delights in you. You know what he did? He came for me. He came seeking after my sad, broken, I hate myself heart. Somebody said to me, you know what I think you should do? I think you, I, I'm going to start reading the Bible with you. Let's start reading the Bible together. And I was like, yeah, that's going to help. But I started reading the Bible. And I started reading it and enjoying it and writing in it and marking in it and finding there was, there was stuff in here, good stuff in here. Stuff that made me feel good and happy and peaceful and, and I don't even know when it happened, but one day I'm like walking by a mirror and I'm checking myself out and I'm like, yeah, okay, what? what? Did you just look at yourself? Now, I didn't like look in the mirror and go, baby, you are a hottie. Like that, <laughs> to this day, that's never happened. But I, but I remember stopping that day and I was like, I'm, I, okay. 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 I think in my heart I kind of felt what I saw was good. You know what happened? I started dwelling on something other than the lies. I started dwelling on truth. I started living in this space, in this place. And I found my creation story in Psalm 139 that says, God knit me together. Do, you, do any of you in here knit? I don't knit because there's math and I hate math. But, but like that's the whole point is that it's with precision. Like if you, if you don't count and do it just right, you're just as likely to make a pancake as you are a cute little beanie hat, right? God didn't make a mistake when he made you. He knit you together with precision and care. And, and it gets even better than that. Like that whole Genesis 1 thing, that includes you. It is good. He knew you. God is without space and time. I believe he saw all of his creation when he said it is good, including you. But just in case you didn't get it, in Ephesians, he wrote it down. In Ephesians 2.10, he's like, man, some of them aren't going to get that. It is a good thing. So let me see. What can I write? Ephesians 2.10. And he wrote this for your heart. And I think he wants you to hear it tonight because he's seeking you. He's seeking after you. And whatever your brokenness is, whether it's what you see in the mirror or how you've been rejected, maybe by those who are supposed to love you most. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. For we are God's workmanship, created for Christ Jesus for good works. That, that verse, like, let me unpack something for you. That, that, that verse, 
When it says workmanship, that just doesn't mean he knit you together and he worked hard to make you. It, 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 it was a Greek word, the Greek word poema. What does that sound like to you? The word poem. It was the Greek word that meant the, a master craftsman, not just any craftsman could use the word, a master craftsman's highest work of art, the best thing, the pinnacle of his creation, the pinnacle of, of his ability, the best thing he could possibly create. When God said, it is good, and he looked at the stars and the fireflies with the flashing things and, 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 and the goats and the llamas and the peacocks with the mathematically impossible tails. When he looked at all of that he, and said it is good, he was like, but she, she's the pinnacle. She's the best thing I've ever created. I didn't make any mistakes here. You know what? You didn't make any mistakes in the steps of your life either, in the disappointment, in the brokenness, in the hurt things. He didn't make any mistakes. Listen to me. You might say, okay, I might be a masterpiece, but I feel like a broken masterpiece. Well, that's okay, because I've been there a time or two. In the pits of brokenness as a teenager, in the pits of brokenness as a 20-year-old, even more recently, in the pits of brokenness in my marriage. Here's what I've learned about God's response to broken masterpieces. It's a lot like ours. A few, a few years ago, there was a little boy, 12-year-old boy. He was, he was in a museum, and there was this, this million-dollar masterpiece, and you know, he was kind of you know, seventh-grade awkward lost his balance, reached out, oops, whole, fist-sized hole from his fat little hand in a million-dollar masterpiece. Would be a bad day if you were his mama, right? <laughs> now, what do you think they did with that masterpiece? Do you think they threw it away? How many of you think they threw it away? Raise your hand. How, how many of you said, think that maybe they were like, eh, we'll just, it's fine, leave it there. How many think they did that? How many of you think they did absolutely everything they could within their human power to restore that masterpiece back to its original condition? Yeah. That's what they did. If we, as humans, do that with human-made masterpieces, how much more do you think God wants to, is willing to, and is able to restore every broken piece of your masterpiece heart? There, there, is, there, is, there is no body in here more broken than he can fix and restore. There is no mind in here more broken than he can fix and restore. There is no relationship, no mother-daughter relationship in here that he is not capable of restoring. There is no marriage represented, no family represented in this room that he is not capable and desirous of restoring. For Adam and Eve, in their brokenness, we see the first glimpse of the cross of Jesus, where we don't know what, but something in his perfect, it is good world died that day. Can you imagine? They'd never seen blood, they'd never seen death. And yet God the Father says, my masterpiece is broken and so I will restore it. And he brings Adam and Eve garments of fur to comfort them. It was a foreshadowing of Jesus coming. 
And by his stripes, by his brokenness, you, my sweet masterpiece, can be restored. This message was presented at Harvest Bible Chapel, led by Pastor Greg Laurie and his wife, Kathy. In it, Dana references the Secret Keeper Girl events, which have now been rebranded as True Girl events. If you would like to take the tween girl in your life to one of them, learn more at mytruegirl.com. If you enjoyed this message and want to learn more about living in truth, check out the Lies We Believe series, including Lies Women Believe by Nancy DeMoss Walgamuth, Lies Young Women Believe by Dana and Nancy, or the newest in the series, Lies Girls Believe by Dana Gresh. Learn more at danagresh.com. This podcast was produced by Pure Freedom Ministries.